Here we go. Today's daf is daf Chav Zayin, page twenty-seven in the Heligah Beseches Kedushin, and we're going to pick up on the bottom of Chav Vav Amud Beis, the bottom of twenty-six B, three lines from the bottom with Tashema. Okay, now let's remind ourselves we're in the middle of a fascinating conversation, which is that the Mishnah taught us that if you ever acquire land real property, as well as movable property. <clears throat> so you could acquire the movable property, agav, along with the real property. Acquired along with, which means, even though in general movable property, you need to literally do an action with it, lift it up, hand it over, signs of ownership. Since by real estate you don't need that, if I'm purchasing real estate and movable property, I don't need to pull the movable property. I don't need to pick up the movable property. As soon as I take ownership over the land, the movable property will be purchased along with it, what's called a Kenyan Agav. Okay, it's a Kenyan, it's an acquisition Agav that's coming along with the real property. Now the question we're trying to clarify and answer is does the movable property need to be on the land? Or is it just enough that it's part of the same agreement as the land? If I have an agreement to purchase land, then there's movable property included in that agreement. Even if the property is not on the land, I acquire it. Or does it have to be on the land at the time? That is the shaila that we're coming to answer. So far, we have not come up with an appropriate answer to that question. So here we go. Toshma, come and listen to the following b'risa. Maisa Berebi Gamliel. There was a story with Rabban Gamliel and the Zikainim Shahayu Ba'im Bisfina. They were coming in a boat. Okay. Rabbi Gamliel said to the Zikainim, he said to the uh, elders on the boat, Isur Shani Asid Lambut, the tithing that I will take in the future, top of today's daf. Um, Nasan Yeshua should be given to Yeshua. Okay? Now Yeshua is referring to Rabbi Shua ben Hanania, who was a Levi. So he wants the Miser to now be taken ownership by Rabbi Shua ben Levi. And the place where the Miser is is going to be rented to him. The Isur Acher Shani Asid Lamud and another 10% that I'm going to separate for the poor, Nasan Akiva ben Yosef should be given to Akiva ben Yosef because he was a Gabbai Tzedakah for the poor. He used to collect money to help the poor. So that he could help the poor and it is rented out to him as well. The area is rented out to him. I just want to pause at this step before we get to the connection of, of our question and clarify what's happening. So you had a number of sages traveling on a boat and Rabbi Gamliel had the following concern. Rabbi Gamliel was concerned that the produce is going to be eaten by his family prior to his tithing. Now, if they eat produce prior to his tithing, it's not considered kosher. It's called tevel. You're not allowed to eat it. So he's trying to come up with an eitzah. He's trying to come up with some sort of uh, way that... He could do something while he's out on the boat 
and that when his family is eating the food, they're not going to be transgressing. So he decides as follows. I have a levy on the boat with me. What I'm going to do is give ownership over part of the grain that my family is not eating and lease the land that the grain is on to, <coughs> to the levy. <clears throat> this way, we can make an agreement right here on the boat. And now my family back home will be eating kosher food because it's already considered tithed. And I'll do that as well to Akiva ben Yosef, Rebbe Akiva, who was poor at the time. I'm, I'm sorry, who would, would take care of the charities. I'm going to give it to his fund, the tithing, and the land with it. Okay, so that's the, the backdrop of the story. Regal is trying to kosherize, make sure that the produce that his family is eating back home is kosher by tithing. Now, what's interesting to note, here's how this situation is going to come to us. Rabbi Gamliel did not just say to Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Akiva, oh, I'm giving you the produce. He leased the land to them as well. Which seems to imply, Shmamino, let's keep reading here. Shmamino, you learn from what he did. You learn from here, Be'inon Siburimba. The produce has to be on the land. So you see, if you're ever giving over ownership of movable property, it has to actually be on top of the real estate. We were unsure. If you're purchasing movable property and real estate, does it have to be on the real estate or not? Over here, it seems to imply it had to be on the land. So he leased the land as well. And this should be a good proof to the halacha. Answers the Gemara, no. Shiny Hassam, that story is different. Okay. You know why he leased them the land? So that he didn't want to be matriach. He didn't want to bother them. That when they get off the boat, they're going to have to go and take the ties from Rabbi Gamliel's land. They're going to have to slap it up. So he says, you know, the land is yours too. You don't need to have any concern. Take your time. By leasing them the land, he's basically saying, take your time getting it off. It's not like it's my property that I need to, uh, to get it off of. But point is, says the Gemara, it's not necessarily so that it had to be given on uh, acquired on top of the land. It couldn't even been on the side of the land. Toshima, come and listen. Five lines to the top of Zayin Amar Alf. The Amar Rava Bar Yitzchak Amar Rav. Rava Bar Yitzchak says in the name of Rav. There's two halachas when it comes to documents. Number one, zechu basada zu leplani vekisvu lai esashtar. Somebody says, <clears throat> "Please take ownership of this field for Reuven and write a document for Reuven to own it." The halacha is chayzer bishtar. He can back out of his request to these people. Of write the document. He could say, no, 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 I'm backing out. Don't write the document. However, he cannot back out of the field. The field belongs to Reuven. You know why? Because how did he say to these people? He said, take ownership of the field, acquire the field for him, and write a document. So you can't take back. They already acquired the field. You could take back that you wanted to write a document, but it doesn't matter. Reuven still owns the field. Why? 
because you've given over possession of the field to these other Hebra on Reuven's behalf. However, what if the current owner of the field, the original owner of the field says, you take ownership of the field, almenas, conditional, that you write up a document, so now they don't own the field on behalf of Reuven until a document is written up. Therefore, Chayzer, he could back out, Bein Bishtar, Bein Besada. He could back out of writing a document and back out of the field because Ruvain does not yet own that field until all the conditions are met. So as, if the document is not yet written, he can back out of that. And since he can back out of the document, he can back out of the entire thing. Okay. The Rabbi Chiyah Baravan Amar Ravuna. And Rabbi Baravan says in the name of Ravuna, There's actually three halachas that were mentioned by documents. Trey, the first two halachas, Hadamaran, you just said. Again, what are the two halachas? Halacha number one is that if you say to these people, take ownership of the field and write a document, then the field is already Ruvain's. Halacha number two is that if he made the, them taking ownership conditional, then it's not yet Ruvain's and he could back out. Okay? So the first two are, we just said, Edoch, and the third halacha is as follows. Imkadam meicher. Let's say the seller went ahead, v'kosav loy esashtar. And he had a document written up for Reuven. Ke'oisa sheshaninu. So it is like this that we learned in a Mishnah. Ke'isvin shtar lemeicher. We can write up a document for the seller. If anybody is selling land, he can walk over to a cipher, and the cipher is permitted to write up a document on his behalf. Even if the purchaser, even if the buyer is not there. Okay. Now, usually we would say, hey, Mr. Scribe, do not write up a document of sale if the purchaser is not there because that gives off impressions that this guy is doing some sort of, uh, he's, he's playing games over here. All right? He's playing games over here. We're not going to allow Stam people to be writing documents. However, <clears throat> if the seller himself comes... Then we'll allow it because, again, what does it say? He sold the field. So this document is only hurting the seller. Since this document is only hurting the seller, we're not concerned that the buyer is not with him. There's no downside to it. So we'll, we'll uh, uh, allow a seller to walk over to a scribe and say, have a document written up. Would we allow a buyer, a purchaser to say to a scribe, hey, by the way, write up a document that that guy sold me the field? No, of course not. Yeah, that's too easy. Now, what, now what, we uh, write up a document for the seller, even though the buyer is not there. And, and since the, the purchaser owns the land, so then the document becomes his as well, automatically. So the document is pre-written, pre-written document. Who wrote it? The seller. The seller writes, I behold him giving over ownership of the field to Reuven. Reuven then goes and buys the field. The halach is, that document is automatically his, whether or not it's on the field. Now, we're assuming this means you can acquire a document which is movable property, even if it's not on the field. You see that at Kenyan Agav, when you're acquiring something movable, Along with real estate, it doesn't need to be on the field. Shmami, no, you learn from here, 
any movable property does not need to be piled on top of the real estate. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Why, why, you know, who says it does not be on the field? Why, why did you say that? Because the Mishnah says that as soon as he acquires the field, he'll acquire the document no matter where it is. So if the field's in Missouri and the document was written up in Wisconsin, the document so stating... Right, right, because you're because you're acquiring it with the Kenyan Agav. It's 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 going to come along with your other acquisition. That's right. That's Beautiful. That's right. If you're not, if you, but if you're not, if you're not doing another piece of the deal, you would need Mashiach. Then it doesn't work. Correct. That's correct. So since over here there's two parts to the deal, like you're saying, since there's two parts to the deal. A real estate part and a movable property part. And what's, the logic, what's the logic of that? Because since it's the document doesn't need, it's not its own transaction. As soon as I've accomplished any part of the transaction, the whole transaction is going to come along with it. I own the land and it's included. It's the same transaction. It's the same thing. I'm selling you land and a document. So but how can you tell me I'm acquiring the land without the document? It's one sale. So as soon as I acquire part of the sale, I acquire all, I, I, I'm acquiring all of the sale. To which the Gemara says, no. Shiny star documents are different. The Afsira, the Ara, who? Because it is considered very closely connected to the Ara, to the land itself. Which means... If you buy property, you need the deed. You need proof of ownership. Hence, if I buy land and a document, the document by definition is a baby brother to the land. It's part of the same deal. However, let's say you were to sell me land and a basketball. Does the basketball have anything to do with land? No. So maybe a basketball would have to be on the land for me to make a Kinyanagav. Again, we want to know, when you're making Kinyanagav, when you're acquiring movable property, does it have to be on the land or not? We said, yeah, it doesn't need to be on the land because by a document, it could be in a different state and you'll take ownership over it. Says the Gemara, therefore by everywhere, you know, says the Gemara, it's not true. It could be when something is very closely related to the land, it's like part of the same thing, it's like a document of the land, then it doesn't need to be on the land. You know Why? Because it's clear as day that it's all part of the same thing. But if you're selling me two separate things, even if it's in one transaction, who says that if the movable property isn't here, that it doesn't have to be on the land? Maybe it has to be on the land. Says the Gemara, But we learned about this halacha, we learned in our mission, the Chazor Shein when you buy real estate, it could be acquired. When you buy movable property, it could be acquired with real estate. With Kasef, Shtar, and Chazaka. So you see that he's, a, he's acquiring the document because of a Kenyan Agav. He's, it's not because it's part of the land. Bottom line is to answer our question, and this is the final answer that if you purchase something that's movable along with real estate, does it have to be on the real estate at the time? The answer is no. As if it's in the same transaction, 
that's good enough, does not need a mamish be on top of it. Okay. Ibailu, that's another question searching for information. Mi be'inan agav oi loi. Okay. Do we need agav? Do we need a mention of a being uh, acquired with a Kenyan agav or not? Okay. Now the Shiloh over here is that if I buy land and a basketball, we just learned that the basketball doesn't have to be on the land. As soon as I pay money for the land and acquire the land, the basketball is mine too. To which the Gemara asks, why? Because it's a Kenyan Agav. I'm purchasing the basketball along with the land. Ask the Gemara, does it have to be mentioned explicitly that the basketball is coming as a Kenyan Agav, as a along with? Or is it enough that it's just part of the same transaction? Because again, usually movable property needs an actual Kenyan. You need an actual lifting, a pulling, a handoff. Over here, you're not going to need any of that. Because it's a Kenyan Agav. You're acquiring it because of the land. So says, does it have to be clearly stipu- expressed that this is a Kenyan Agav in order for me not to do a separate acquisition? Or is it enough that it's the same thing? Toshma, come and listen. The Katani Kolhani, we gave this all about Katani Agav. All these cases that we mentioned by movable property, there's no mention of the owner, the seller saying, oh, by the way, we're allowing it to happen with an Agav, and therefore it doesn't need to said, be said explicitly. It says, Gemara, it's not true, Tameich. And if you're going to say that, oh, it doesn't say it, so it must be it didn't happen. Kanimi Katani, did the seller ever say, oh, I want you to own it? No, he didn't say, I want you to own it. It's self understood. Ella Adda Omar Kni, you're going to tell me that, oh, you got to say it? So too over here, you're going to say maybe the Brisa um, doesn't mention a Kenyan Agav because we assume that he said it. The same way when somebody's giving over ownership, of course he means acquire it. We're going to assume the reason that uh, the, the only way to acquire a Kenyan Agav is if he actually said it. I, why didn't it list it in the Mishnah? Because it's self-understood. The Gemara says, V'hilchisa and the is as follows. To answer these questions, Tziburim le'bi'inon, we do not need Tziburim, which means the movable property does not have to be on top of the, of the uh, real estate, like we learned before, and Agav ukni bi'inon. However, if you are acquiring movable property with real estate, there must be a mention of Agav and Kni. Uh, that it's happening with acquire the land and acquire the basketball along with it. Okay, so you must explicitly say that. Ibailahu, they asked another question about Kenyan Agav. Sada b'mecher, if you're selling a field, umetaltalim b'matana, but you're giving him the movable property as a gift. So this is fascinating. Mahu, what is the Allah? We just learned that a Kenyan Agav, an acquisition of along with, works when I sell two things. What happens if the seller wants to, wants to sell the real estate, but gift the basketball to the same person? So one's a sale, one's a gift. Can you make a Kenyan Agav on the basketball when it's coming as a gift as opposed to a sale? Interesting, because it's coming to you in a different way. Tashma, come and listen. Isur shani asid lamud, nasan Yeshua. My future tithing is going to Yeshua. 
Remember that story of Rabbi Gamliel on the boat, on top of today's daf. And its place is rented to him. Now over there, the miser was a gift. The land was rented, which is two different ways that he's giving it over. Shmami, no, you learn from here that it doesn't need to be the same type of sale. It only needs, as long as it is two things going to the same person, from the same person, you can make a Kenyan Aga. Iboilu. They had another question searching for information. Okay. What if the seller says to the buyer, I want you to own this land. I'm giving this ownership of this land to you. I also have a basketball. And I want that basketball to go to Shimon. So he's basically giving ownership of the land to one person, but that and that same person who's taking ownership of the land is acting as a messenger to take ownership for another person. So it's the same transaction, but it's going to end up by two different people. Mao, what's Allah does Kenyan Agav work in such a scenario? Tashma, come and listen. What happened on the boat? Rabbi Gamliel said, Isur Shani Asid Lamud. The future miser that I'm going to separate for the Aniyim, Nasun La Akiva Ben Yosef, should be given to Rabbi Akiva, so he could take ownership of it on behalf of the poor. Remember, Rabbi Akiva himself wasn't collecting money for himself. He was collecting money as a Gabai Tzedakah. He's acting as a messenger for the poor. So what he did was, is he had the place rented to Rabbi Akiva, while at the same time, the Miser Ani, the tithing of the poor, is going to the poor. With Rabbi Akiva acting as a messenger, so you see that it's a valid transaction. A Kinyanagav works, even when one person's ending up with the real estate, and somebody else is ending up with the money. Says the Gemara, wrong. Because that whole assumption is that Rabbi Gamliel was giving ownership of the land, renting the land to Rabbi Akiva. Says the Gemara, it doesn't say that. My Muschar... What does it mean rented to you? It means rented to your funds. Muscher the miser. Right? What it means is it's rented to you so that this miser will work. But whoever's going to get the miser is, is officially the owner of the land right here. Rabbi Akiva was considered not just the messenger of Aniyam, he's considered the arm of the Aniyam. Why? Because he was the Gabai Tzedakah. He was the one completely authorized to oversee the whole tzedakah, so maybe in extent he's even stronger than a shliach. So the Gemara says, bottom line, we don't have a proof. Not that we're saying the other way, but we started out with a question. If you're selling a field to one guy and you're giving the movable property to somebody else, do you need an acquisition? Or does Kenyan Agav work on that basketball? The answer is we don't know. We tried proving it from the case of Rabbi Akiva and the Gemara says that's not a, that, that wouldn't be a good proof. Okay. Amar Rava, Rava says, The only time you acquire the movable property along with the real estate is when the purchaser of the real estate also paid enough value to acquire the movable property. Remember, real estate is acquired with payment. Movable property is not. Real estate is acquired with payment. So we're saying, if you pay for your real estate, and in the same transaction, you're getting ownership of, the, of a basketball. 
The basketball doesn't need a lift up, hand off. It's a kinyanaga. If it's going to go along with the land, it's owned right away. Says Rabba, it's only true if the buyer gave enough money for both the land and the basketball. Then we'll say the basketball is acquired the same as the land. If you didn't pay for everything, you only have what you paid for. We have Bryce supporting Rava. In some ways, the power of buying with money is greater than the power of a document. And in some ways, the power of purchasing with a document is greater than the power of purchasing with money. Okay, so how does this play out? In what way is, in, in what sense is a document stronger? And in what sense is money stronger? So here we go. Yafa kayacha kasef. In some ways, when you buy with money, it gives you a stronger power. It's a stronger transaction. Why? You could use money to redeem hektish, things that are belong to the Beis HaMikdash, as well as Meiser Sheni. Okay? Now, a star doesn't do that, but money is going to do that. Masha'in came to star. It's not true. Buy a document. The Yafakayach star, in some sense, a star, a document, is stronger. How so? Shahashtar mighty bibas Yisro. Because a get, a document, ends a marriage, Masha'in came be kasef, as opposed to money. A woman can't buy her way out of the marriage, and a husband can't give her money to leave the marriage. You need a document. So in some ways, a document has a stronger force than money. Okay, fine. So we're just creating... Differences over here. Let's keep going. The power of a money acquisition and a document acquisition is stronger than a status acquisition. The And there's times where the kayach of chazaka of showing a status of ownership is greater than the other two. How so? In some ways, purchasing with money and a document is greater you could acquire an every with a document you could acquire an every with money which is not true by chazaka we learned this earlier in the Masechta you cannot acquire a, uh, uh, an every with chazaka by showing ownership an every working for a Yid tying his shoes doesn't give the Yid ownership over the every. okay in some ways, though, in some ways, the, the power of Chazaka is stronger. When it comes to Chazaka, if somebody uh, sells a, a, a field in 10 different places, in 10 different uh, provinces, since he made a status, he showed ownership in one of the 10 pieces of land, he acquires all them, top of what do you mean? What's he adding? What's the difference? Is ten fields or two fields? Oh, there's no difference. We're just saying it, we're just saying it could be many. What, it could be many different locations. Yeah, we already learned that uh, if he has a, a field, is by, by he's, he's, He's making a, he's selling this field, and uh, there's also another the basketball or something else. 
in another state, he could do it together. So what's, what's the difference in 10 fields or one field? Good. So over, good. I hear your question. What Yale's asking is like this. We just learned before that if you acquire a field, you acquire the basketball with it, even though it's not on the field. So over here, when you're acquiring a bunch of fields, what's the Kiddush that when you acquire one field, you're acquiring the others? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's your question? Yeah. Okay, it's a good question. I'll even make your question stronger. By fields, there's never really, all land is really connected. I mean, unless it's like overseas, you know. But so, you know, when you acquire one, maybe it makes more, it's, it's even more sense you should acquire others. Like, what's the Kiddush over here? So the answer is that beforehand, remember, we were learning when it came to Kenyan Agav, that had to do with money. You have to pay enough money for the land and the basketball to say that you own the basketball along with the land because we're dealing with a money acquisition. Over here, notice, we're not dealing with any money. Over here, Ruvain says to Shimon, you, I'm giving you ownership over 10 lands, 10 fields in 10 different provinces. Shimon does not yet own those. What form of Kenyan does he plan on making? A Kenyan Chazaka. By showing a form of ownership, that's what's going to get, uh, give him the ownership. By a Chazaka. What's the Chazaka? Working the land, building a house on the land. What regular owners would do on the land, that's the name Chazaka. Not his payment. So now, it is a new Chiddush to say that when the buyer makes a chazaka on one piece of land, the other nine schlep along with it. That's a different chiddush. Because here we're dealing with chazaka. He never showed ownership of the other fields. He showed ownership of one field. We said kirinaga, when you purchase money. Over here, there's nothing to do with that. Over here, the whole way you're taking an ownership is with chazaka. You never showed a chazaka on anything else. See, by the other case, you paid for it. Over here, you did nothing on the other lands. Zilch. You're just doing a chazaka on one piece of land. You showed an act of ownership on one piece of land. And now we're going to say, Kanakula. You acquire all them. Now, let's keep reading because we're not done this halacha yet. Let's turn to Chavzayin Amabez. When do we say this halacha to be true though? Shanasan lai demekula. Oh, says the Gemara. The only way this works is if the payment actually went through before the chazaka. So what happened here is like this. This is where the Gemara is going to bring all of us on the same page. Ready? You paid for everything, but the agreement between buyer and seller is that the money is not going to take ownership. The ownership is going to be chazaka. So that's when you need one act of chazaka for everything else. That's the one act of Chazaka. But let's say he didn't pay for all the fields. Let's say like this. The understanding is I'm going to end up with 10 fields. Right now, I paid you for three fields. And I made a Chazaka on one field. Then we say you own three fields. You're not going to own the other ones because money hasn't been paid. So what do you see from here? Let's bring this conversation full circle. 
What you see is that when you have whether you have movable property that you're acquiring along with real estate or whether you have separate fields that are all being acquired together, you can make a Kenyan Agav. However, in all scenarios, it's always limited to the amount that's been previously paid. If you paid that amount, you could take ownership for that amount of land with a Kenyan with a Kenyan Agav. And this is a proof to Shmuel. If somebody sells somebody else 10 fields in 10 different countries, also he acquires all of them. How so? According to the circumstances we just explained. I'll prove to you. This is the halacha. If somebody were to give over 10 animals all tied together with one rope and say, acquire them, wouldn't he acquire all of them? Even though you're only actively pulling one right now. Therefore, if you have all these lands, that uh, it's sensible to say they should all uh, be schlepped along in the, uh, in the Kenyan. Amrulay, they said to him, we don't really like that connection. Uh, uh, we don't like uh, your animal being tied with the ropes and all connected. Uh, me dummy, it's not a good parable. Uh, you, you, what you're trying to connect over here is incorrect. By the animals, they're all literally connected and in his hand. So it's not a Kenyan Agav. It's all, they're all tied. So when you pull one, you're pulling all of them. That's not a Kenyan Agav. You're actually showing an acquisition on every single animal. But by the land, any good to be other. They're not bound together. They're not tied together. They're only connecting the buyer to each field. So who says when he makes an act on one field that the other one should go hand in hand? So even though it is the halacha, it is the halacha that the other ones are being acquired with it, he says, oh, it makes a lot of sense because the same thing by animals. That's not what's making sense out of this. You're right to the halacha, but your, your analogy is incorrect. Ikadamri. There are those who say, Amr of Akhar Tarvika, Teda de Laikani, you should know, okay, you should know an opposite halacha, where now we're going to say the opposite. If you acquire, if you show an act of ownership over one field, you do not acquire the other fields. Because Ilu Maslai Esrahimas Ba'aswar Echad, if he hands over 10 animals tied together, Ramallah Zukni, acquire this one. Mikani, is he acquiring the other ones? No, you said only acquire one, just because other ones are connected. That doesn't give you ownership, and so too by land. Even though all land is connected to each other, you only showed ownership over one. So why would I? Uh, why would I have a chazak over all ten when I only showed a chazak on one? So they said, "No, me dummy, don't connect that either. Don't connect Allah that way." Hasam gufim mechlokim. See, by the animal, there are completely separate bodies. You should know, earth is all connected. Earth is all connected, and since earth is all connected. There's more logic to say when he shows ownership over one field, the other field should come into his possession as way. Ah, you didn't show ownership over the other fields? Sigmar here is saying a fascinating lumbus, which is, how do you know? What separates a field? That somebody else has a border around my field and they, they own land near me? So what? Underneath, the, all, all land ultimately is connected. So it actually is more sensible. To say that when you show an, that if you have 10 fields all being sold in one acquisition, 
you made an equi- you showed a, a, a chazaka, you showed a status on one, the other nine should be owned as well. Okay. <coughs> Two dots. The Mishnah said, the Zaykikin taught us, the Zaykin is anachasim When it comes to taking an oath, so when it comes to, to the the Torah demands movable property under certain circumstances. For example, if I'm mitzas, if I admit to part of a claim, somebody comes to you with a claim and they say you have two hundred dollars worth of apples that I own, and I say no, I only have a hundred dollars worth. I have to take an oath, biblical oath called a maida b'mikzas. You don't, there's no biblical oath when it comes to land. But the Mishnah said, if I'm ever in a situation where somebody has a claim against me for land and movable property, once they can make me swear about my movable property, they can also throw in, and by the way, once you're making that oath, I want you to add in that what you're saying about the land is honest as well. So even though you can't start out with land, but you can add it to the tab once the guy's making an oath on movable property. Okay. Omar Ula. Ula says, This, see by land before we said it's like called a Kenyan Agav. You're acquiring something along with. Over here there's a new expression we're going to become familiar with. This is a, a Shas expression. Get used to this statement. And it's called Gilgul Shvua Minatera. Okay. Gilgul is like a circle. Gilgul Shvua, which is I can obligate somebody to take an oath once they're making an oath, even though I wouldn't initially be allowed to have them make an oath on this. So, let's say there's somebody taking an oath about a bottle of sparkling water. He's already taking an oath. And in general, I would not be allowed to have him swear about these couple of pistachios. They don't have enough value, whatever it is. But he's already making an oath on this. Gilgul Shvua means, once he's taking an oath, I could say, hey dude, swear about the bottle and the pistachios. I can add it to his oath tab. Even though I would not initially be allowed to have him take an oath just about the pistachios. Minayim the Gilgul Shvua Benatar. How do you know this concept of Gilgul Shvua? Again, extending an obligation, turning this into a, adding to the tab. Shinamar, it says, Va'omro ha'isha, amen, amen. This is referring to a woman who's a saita. So, she's been flirtatious. She's suspected of adultery. And the, uh, you know, we've learned the process previously. The husband warns her with witnesses and she secludes herself with witnesses. He takes her to the Beis HaMikdash. They have the special waters that she has to drink. And she has to take an oath before drinking that she did not commit adultery. Okay. And she says, Amen, Amen. She's saying the word Amen twice, seemingly to one oath. What's the oath? She didn't commit adultery. Now let's get into this. Why is she saying Amen twice? Says the Mishnah, 
Amen al ha'olah. She's saying amen to the curse that it says in the Torah. I agreed to the Torah's curses about a person who goes and commits adultery. Amen al shvua. And she's saying amen about her uh, uh, to the uh, oath. She accepts the oath and the curse of the uh, of the Torah. Okay. Now, amen me ishza, and she says as well, I am agreeing. If I committed adultery with this guy, nor have I ever committed adultery with anybody else. Notice what just happened. The we're throwing at her to say amen, where she's not only claiming she didn't commit adultery when she was in the room with this guy, she's also going to tell us that she never committed adultery as long as she's been married. Isn't that called adding to the tab? That wasn't our initial claim. Uh, no husband could just make his wife go to the base Hamikdash and start having. By the way, I don't trust you. Take an oath that you never committed adultery. You can't do that as a husband. Leave me alone. But once he's making her make an oath for this guy, Gilgul Shvua tells us we could extend the oath. Onto, once she's making an oath, add to the tab. Make sure she hasn't committed adultery with others. I've never been, you know, I've never uh, been wayward in any stage of, of our marriage. Now, what do you mean? I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't unfaithful when I was in Arusa before we moved in together. If you're going to say that the husband gave her warning while she was in Arusa before they moved in, that's not possible. And she drank at the same time. It's not possible. It's not, we learned to the Mishnah. That if she's Arusa or Shemeres Yavam, we don't have the whole parsha of Sota. My time, why not? Because Sota can only happen, says the Torah, Tachas Ishik, when she's living with her husband. Omar Achman of the Torah says, She's not yet with her husband, she's just in the initial stages of marriage. So we cannot be dealing with a husband obligating his wife to drink while she's in Arusa, while she's in initial stages of marriage. It's an impossibility. Ella, rather, what's the case? Where we're having her take all these, the amen, amen on these curses. The Kani Lake Shiarusa will say, he gave her kinoi, he warned her not to seclude herself while she was in stage one of marriage. They hadn't yet moved in. Stage one, he's like, hey, stay away from that guy. The Nistrak Shiarusa, she secluded herself in, before she moved in. The Kamashla Shiarusa, then they get married. They moved in together. And now he wants to take her to the base of Mekdash. That's not possible either. It's not possible. You know why? Because you're not a you're not a sight to them. Me Badkilamaya, the waters won't even check her. Vinika the Torah says he, the only time the waters check the wife, get ready for this, is when the husband also didn't sin in this area. Yeah? The man has to be free from sin. The husband cannot have sinned in a matter of Forbidden relations. If the husband's free of sin, we'll check out your wife. If you yourself are a player and you're loose, even though biblically, what what you do, you have multiple wives. The water's not going to check his wife. Now here's the problem. If you warn your wife when she's a saita and she secludes herself, when she's in Arusa, and she secludes when she's in Arusa, the husband was never allowed to take her into marriage. 
So if he took her into marriage now, he sinned. And the water's not going to check her. So how is it possible any husband can ever bring their wife, their soto wife, to take an oath about Arison? The Mishnah says, she's taken oath, she wasn't unfaithful as an Arusa during stage one of marriage. How can you ever make your wife take an oath about stage one of marriage? You can't do that. To which the Gemara says, unless, unless it's happening through extending the oath, which means everything took place while they were living together. He brings her to the Beis HaMikdash. And when the Kayan's there talking to her, the Kayan is allowed to say, when, you take an, when, you are, when you're agreeing that you weren't unfaithful during the suin, we want to add to the tab that you weren't unfaithful during Arison. Even though we can't do it during Arison alone, we're not going to obligate that shvua. But once she's taken an oath about Nesua, if we're concerned about what happened during Arison, we could do that. So you see, Gilgul Shvua Minatera. The fact that a site is swearing about the time of Arison, Minatera. Says the Gemara, no, that's not a good proof. Ashkan Saita Di Surah. Let me tell you something. We're agreeing that's a concept of Gilgul Shvua. Fine. But you should know the laws of Saita have to do with the laws of Isser, the laws of what's permitted and what's prohibited. Memayna Menala. Financial matters, which is what we're trying to figure out. When I purchase something, when there's a claim about something financially, who says there's Gogol Shvua? Remember, we have to introduce a rule. There's a rule that Mimayna Me'isura Lo Yalfinan. Monetary laws and laws of prohibition are not learned out from one another. It's not learned out from one another. Okay? For example, when it comes to laws of permitted and prohibited, we always rely on a single witness. Which is why I can eat in my house. You know why I can eat my house? Because my wife tells me the food's kosher. Do I have to start looking for witnesses? No. By the laws of Isser Veheter, permitted and forbidden, forbidden and, for- and permitted, Eid Echad, one single witness, Nemon Bisurin, is, is trusted. We trust. By financial matters, it's not true. Financial matters, you need two. You want to extract any money financially, there has to be, there has to be witnesses. Therefore, says Gemara here, the laws of Saita have to do with forbidden relationships. Over there, maybe you could extend oaths. Over here, we're trying to learn, can you extend oaths in financial matters? That you haven't proven yet to me. To which the Gemara responds, last step for today, Tana Debei Rabbi Shmuel, they learned in the Yeshiva of Rabbi Shmuel, Kalbachaymer, the reason why you could do a Gogol Shvua by financial matters is learned out from logic. Kalbachaymer. Uma Saita, just like by a Saita. Shalai nitna li tava echad. You know something? We cannot bring her unless there's two witnesses that she secluded herself, even though it's a laws of prohibition. We still demand there's two witnesses. Megalgalin, and despite the stringency of needing two witnesses, 
we still allow the extension of an oath, mamon, when it comes to financial matters. Shanitim behitava be'ed echad. Where? Even though usually by money, you need two witnesses to ever remove money, but a single witness can at least make you take an oath that something isn't true. We can have you take an oath with a single witness, which we're not even going to do by a saita. We see a stringency by Mammon. How much more so is it logical that we could be strict and extend the, uh, extend the person's uh, oath and make them add uh, further financial oaths to the tab. So we'll hold it here for today. We're not completely done this sugi yet. Just a, a few more lines, but I want to hold it here for today. Let's just give a quick wrap up, a quick sikum, which is we started out with uh, we started out with a question. I'm sorry, we started out with a quote from the Mishnah. The Mishnah says that um, if you take an oath on movable property, you can also have him take an oath on real estate, to which the Gemara says that this would function as Gilgul Shvua, with extending of an oath. How do I know, and we know this is Allah, but what's the source? How do I know biblically that, that Gilgul Shvua applies to financial matters? We said, because by Saito we extend oaths onto her, that she, we could obligate her to take an oath even that she, didn't, she wasn't unfaithful even, even during Arison. The Gemara said to that, well, that's only prohibited matters. We don't learn out financial matters from prohibited matters. Because the Gemara responds, you're right, in general, we don't learn out financial from prohibited, but that's nothing to do with it. Over here, there's just logic. There's logic. There's logic dictating to us, stating that when you have a weaker situation of Saita, where it takes a lot more, two strong witnesses together to do anything, still will allow oaths to come up, extend the oaths, how much more so when we are stricter, like by financial matters. We'll obligate somebody to take an oath when a single witness comes with a claim. We'll obligate an oath. That's a strict thing. How much more so can we be strict on the person and extend their oaths and once they're swearing, add it, uh, add it to the tab. That's where we're holding at this stage of the Gemara. We'll hold it here for today. Be'ez Hashem, tomorrow we will pick up with the third line on Dav Chavches, Amad Aleph. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.